0: Never be the smartest person in the room, because the moment that you are or think you need to be, you have ignored all of the talent and wisdom of everybody else that is in that boardroom, in that soccer game, in that whatever you're doing. Someone has a different opinion and approach that outweighs and embetters the organization, whether, again, it's a team or a company or, or whatever, group of friends playing Dungeons and Dragons, right? So never be the smartest person in the room. And I walked away with that. And, and I think it really helped my life, really enabled me to go into different fields and to not feel the need to be, well, yeah, I'm in charge, but that doesn't mean I'm the, I dictate, right? A good leader takes all of the information around them and then congeals it and then brings a, a strategy and a direction like a vector, but not, you know, Do this, this way, for this reason, for that. Again, that's a control and you can control yourself out of business. You can control yourself out of wisdom. And uh, I think that was a big thing that came out of that for me.
1: Aloha folks and welcome back to Degree Free, where we teach you how to get the work you want without a college degree. I am your host, Ryan Maruyama. Now, before we get into today's episode, a couple of things. One, we send out a weekly email that has degree-free jobs, degree-free news, everything that you need to know in order to get a job without a college degree. If you haven't already go to degreefree.co slash newsletter to sign up, to get our free weekly newsletter. Second, the biggest thing that we hear is that people don't have a network. And so if that's you and you want to start building your network, please connect with me. I'll be your first connection on LinkedIn. You can go to linkedin.com slash in slash Ryan Maruyama. I will put uh, links to everything in the show notes. And without further ado, today's guest is Jason Tugman, director of IT security. This is a great episode for anybody that's looking to get into the IT space for sure. But this is also a great episode for anybody that is thinking about making any transitions in their life. Jason has an amazing story that we get into. He went from working on Oprah, being homeless in the Marines to now director of IT security. It's an amazing story where we can pull a lot of nuggets of wisdom out from. We get into saying yes and the power of accidents. If you want to follow along with Jason's career and reach out to him, you can go to jasontugman.com, connect with him on LinkedIn or on TikTok. And without further ado, please enjoy this very, very wide-ranging conversation with Jason Tugman. Are No Rules. No Rules. You're listening to Degree Free on the Degree Free Network, where we talk about how to teach yourself, get work, and make money. No degree needed. Here are your hosts, Ryan and Hannah Maruyama. Hello, folks, and welcome back to Degree Free. I am super excited to have this week's guest on, Jason Tugman. Thank you for making the time. Absolutely, man. Glad to be here. This is an exciting conversation for me because we talked a little bit offline already, and there are a lot of rabbit holes to go down. And so I will try to do my best at making this your very interesting life story as coherent and comprehensive as possible. But in order to do that, I'd like to kind of just start at the present. Currently, could you just tell the audience what you do for work, what your title is, and... Kind of what an average day looks like.
0: Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm the director of information security at a medical device startup based out of Oakland, California. I live in Seattle. You know, as a remote team, most of my day is really around coordinating with you know all the different stakeholders. So we view you know our customers, which are both internal and external to the customer to to the company. So our customers are actual customers, but as in my title, my job is to is to really secure the network, secure the people, secure the processes. And so our customers are also um, the people within the organization or the different business units. So as you would imagine, a lot of my day is, is set up with meetings. I write and enforce policies and procedures, which sounds super boring, but I can get into why I love that so much. I think it's actually amazing. I mean, I I can tell you why in a second, but, you know, and then the soup to nuts of being in cybersecurity, you know, looking at alerts, looking at logs, getting scary stuff popping up on my Slack, you know, saying, go look at this. And, you know, every now and then um, a big incident where it's all hands on deck and, you know, you have to really be on point and know know what you're doing. By then, lastly, all those dividends pay off. If you treat your your internal folks as customers, that means that you have a relationship with them. So when you're going to somebody with an emergency, they know who you are. They know your name. They have probably dealt, you know, with different processes before, and if I do my job right, we're all terrified, but nobody's panicking.
1: If you do your job right, you're all terrified, but nobody's panicking. I love yeah. that. <laughs> It's a kind of like a respect for uh, what could happen. Is that right. is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know we're you know we're we're a healthcare company, so we have patient not only what's called PII, you know, identifiable information, but but we have PHI, people's you know health records, and so you know our job is very serious, you know, and um, so yeah, we we just we have to we have to make sure that, that we're doing the right stuff at the right times.
1: Definitely. And I was excited as well, because you're actually our first guest on in the cybersecurity space. And so for our audience, if you wouldn't mind just kind of breaking down what is cybersecurity like, just at a basic level, because even for me, and I'll just talk for myself, as a layman, I'm like cybersecurity, like, I have no idea what that means. I mean, obviously, like, my mind goes to like logins and passwords, and that's pretty yeah. much it.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and look, that's that's a big portion of it, you know, and, and all, in all candor, when I got into the cybersecurity space, and I mean this extremely literally, I went on Wikipedia, what is cybersecurity? <laughs> and I absolutely, that is absolutely true. But you know, cybersecurity, well, I'll tell you what it's people think it is. And I'll tell you what it isn't. You know, people think it's, you know, hackers and you're you're doing cool stuff and digits are flying around. That's that's what hackers do. And there's white hat hackers. There's gray hat hackers and there's black hat hackers. Right. We like the white hat hackers because they're doing it altruistically and they will come to you with like a bug bounty or something like that with what they found. It's very academic, you know, but you see these things on TV and stuff, and I'm sure that exists. But my job is the most dangerous person to a cybersecurity, you know, to to, to anybody in cybersecurity, the most dangerous person is the people, or the most dangerous thing is the people, right? So, yeah, it is passwords. It is, but it's how you manage passwords. It's, you know, is your network secure? Do do you have right firewalls and right ports and protocols and things that, by by the way, are are very too technical for me? So you have to know where you're at in cybersecurity. So I am a cyber risk manager. I deal with risk. I have very smart people on my team who are far more the technical people, what I call the fingers on keyboard guys that are securing our firewalls so people can't just come in. They're securing our email so people can't just come in. But they're also securing our email so people don't accidentally send bad things out, you know, phishing and... You know, all these things, but each of those are, are are individual things, right? So, which make up a program. So, you have to put them all together to make a secure program. And, and you can't just secure one thing. But also, and this is the most important thing, is you can literally secure yourself out of business, you know? So, we as cybersecurity professionals, we have to know what controls to put in place. But we also have to weigh those against the risk, right? So, risk is the potential of loss, If there's no potential of loss, there is no risk. So if there's no risk, don't put a control in place, right? That's a waste of time, money, and resources. But then also, sometimes an organization has to do risky things because we are a healthcare company. We do different things. And so you have to understand the the objectives of the business, and you can't secure yourself out of business. And, And that's the balance. And that's where, again, why I focus on risk is because you have to understand the risk tolerance of your organization. And every organization is different. And every business unit is different. Finance might have a different risk tolerance than say our data science team, which is different from our engineers, which are different from X, Y, and Z, right? And so understanding that.
1: Kind of going a little deeper, you said secure yourself out of business. Could you elaborate that uh, on that just a little bit more?
0: Sure. Yeah. Look, there's there's a thousand and one controls, right? There, You can put a control in place that every time someone wants to send an email, they have to click the, the encryption button. They have to do this. Then it has to get processed in the back end by a DLP, data loss prevention scan tool. And... It takes three minutes to send an email. And it look, in the intelligence community, sometimes, hey, that's what you have to do, right? But we don't work in the intelligence community anymore. So you, <laughs> you have to understand, like, do we need, for some people, for the people that, few people that work in our headquarters, do they need badges? And do you have to have what's called a man trap where it goes and it swivels you in and swivels you out and things like that that are just dumb because there's no risk there you know, or the risk is very small. We want to know who's in the building. We want to know when they entered and when they left and who who their guests are. So if there's a fire or something like that, we know who's in the building, right? Or if a guest comes in and they try to get into our server room, which we don't have, we we would have an alarm that goes off, right? But securing yourself out of business is putting excessive controls in place. And a control is just a a rule, right? It's just a thing that you have to do. Your mother probably has controls about you entering the house. You have to take your shoes off, have controls about doing the dishes after dinner, but she doesn't have you clean the house, you know, top to bottom every time you enter the house. That's silly. So controls are just that. And that's what I mean by securing yourself out of business.
1: Excellent. Now, just getting into a little bit into your background, I know that you currently work at a me- medical device startup. Is that much different from the other type of cyber risk that you were doing prior? And how so? It seems like, cause yeah. it seems to me that like when I go to the doctor, I don't want, like I've got a rash on my back. I don't want that to get out to people, you okay. know, like, or like these medical devices, like I'm che- constantly checking my sugar and like, I don't want people mm-hmm. to know that like I, I'm pre-diabetic.
0: Right. And you know, Protecting people's health information is, is often the most intimate type of data other than potentially your taxes, right, or your, your financial debt. You know, it's very personal data. The, the way that my job is different working at a medical device company is that we have different regulations. We have different mandated rules that are put on us by, you know, HIPAA by GDPR, which is the EU data privacy, Um, you know, PIPEDA, which is Canada, different things in India and Vietnam and China and Brazil. I have to know all that stuff. I don't have to know it all, but I have to be very familiar with it. Because those are the guides in which we have to secure on top of what baseline, what secure what we just call maturity, right? Or hygiene, security hygiene. We then have these special rules, controls that we have to do put onto us by by HIP- the HIPAA security rule or something of that sort. So it's different because the context is different. But at the end of the day, if you know how to read a standard, which is not hard, but people don't take the time to do it. If you know how to read a standard, you know what basic security hygiene is, then moving from industry to industry, all you're doing is learning that extra layer. Right. So coming from the energy sector into health sector and different different things, it's just understanding that, you know, that extra piece.
1: Now, this is great because obviously you're at a director level, you know your stuff. We've got the intro to IT down. And it sounds like to me that you've been in this space forever, like this is all <laughs> you've done. And I know that that's not true. And I would love to kind of go back to your past and sure. where where you come from as early as, you know, even the Marines. I'd love sure. to start there and um, and go from there.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, in high school, uh, one, I was a, I was the worst student. And when I say the worst, I mean the worst. I, I probably shouldn't brag about this, but but I, uh, <laughs> I graduated high school with the lowest GPA in the history of the school district. I got all Fs and one A, and that A was in theater because uh, I love theater. But I was just, I was a bad student because I was a bad student on paper. You know, was I dumb? No. Was I smart? No. Was I intelligent? Yes. And there's a massive difference there. So, you know, I, I graduated high school. My my Marine Corps recruiter went in front of the school board, physically showed up in front of the school board. And, they, he, and he put on the strong, if you give this boy to us, we'll whip him into shape. And he's like, you know, you know, he's like, don't worry, man, I got you. <laughs> Give them to us and blah, blah, blah. And the school district's like, yeah, go in the Marines. And I'm like, that's what I wanted to do the whole time. So, you know, but so yeah, I went in the Marine Corps, but you know, I went in the Marine Corps knowing that I was only going to be in for four years. I wasn't going to make it a career. Because I knew that I wanted to get out and I wanted to be a theater director. I wanted to be a a director of, you know, of of films because who doesn't? And so I went in, Marine Corps did my thing. I think Marine Corps did some amazing things for me as a person. It gave me courage and dedication and confidence, you know, and all those things. I will say that when I was a Marine, it's very different than being a Marine today. Uh, It's a whole different conversation. But, you know, it gave me a lot of tools, personal tools. And then I got out and I I went to college. I know this is the degree free, but I went to college. Uh, I was in, I went to Columbia College in Chicago for film, as you would imagine. And uh, first year, freshman year, got my film and they got picked to be the top film and go up in this competition, blah, blah, blah. And my teacher was like, no, Jason's film is disqualified. What? It was picked. Uh, It's because he was like... We asked you to make a narrative film and you made an experimental film. I'm like, I don't think so. It's beginning, middle, and end. But he goes, I think you're too, too, too experimental for us. I said, okay. So I went across the street to the school, school the School of the Art Institute, which is a pretty famous school, and I gave them my film. And I was like, and they're like, yeah, scholarship. And I was like, sweet. So my um, second half of my, no, 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 it was my first semester of, of a sophomore finished that semester at the School of the Art Institute, studied performance art and stuff because they didn't really have a film program, like 4D stuff. And at the end of that, they're like, yeah, Jason, we just think you're too narrative for us. And so they pulled my scholarship and I was like, look, I can't win. And I was frustrated. And then I was like, well, <laughs> fuck you. And I dropped out. And, you know, they that gets a little weird from there. And then I accidentally raised a million dollars for a startup that I didn't have. to. Different story, and that's when I really dropped out of school because I was like, "Well, I can do this or I can do that." And at the same time, I was working in theater, and I kind of got a love for theater. and And so my my startup was this digital video startup called Digital Idiots. Uh, we were around for about a year and a half, like everybody else. But then I did that, and then I, you know, I I left the, that startup.
1: Jason, can I just yeah. interrupt you right sure. there? You said, yeah. "All right, I I have to ask." Accidentally raised a million dollars. For, this was for digital, this was for digital idiots?
0: Yeah, but that's before the company existed. So I, like I made a nonprofit and my whole thing is I wanted to make films the way that people make theater, right? You can make films that are local because theater is local, you know? And then sometimes an actor in a theater gets famous, you know, like David Schwimmer from Looking Glass Theater is now David Schwimmer. But he was just a theater guy um, in Chicago. We, you know, hung out at parties and stuff. And then he was like friends. And then uh, that was a name drop, by the way. Uh, yeah,
1: that was, the, that, was, that was actually a big name drop. I, yeah, I don't know. If, I but, think that for the, for the audience listening to this, I'm not sure that they, yeah. they, they're going to know who David Schwimmer is. Lost <laughs> yeah. uh, the, 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 from The Friends. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I, yeah. It was not lost on me. Yeah.
0: Definitely. So anyway, so I had this nonprofit and it's a 501c3 and I, I hired an accountant and I met the accountant at a Starbucks across the street from my house. And it was a Saturday and he was like, do you think you could make this into a like an internet? there's a dot com is a word we used at the time dot com and I was like I don't know I've never thought about it and he said okay and he I had brunch with him and this other guy named Ray McGaw on Sunday and Monday I was in you know the forty second floor of one South Wacker in Chicago working out of Ray McGaw's law firm and he started bringing his buddies in he was like hey this is Jason blah blah blah.com. dot com I didn't have a name for it I didn't know what we were gonna do. By the end of that week, I had – I probably had $150,000, $200,000 in the bank, no employees, hired 15 people to do a company that I didn't – we didn't have a business plan. I didn't – and it was like, name it. And I was like, well, it's – I'm an idiot, so digital idiots, (laughs) you know, as digitalidiotes.com, you know, we raised about a million dollars. For a company that I did not – I did not want. I didn't – it was just – but like – I was like, that seems fun which is pretty much like the course of my entire life is like, "Ooh, that's interesting. Let's go do that." "Ooh, that's interesting. Let's go do that." And so I did that thing, failed miserably, learned a lot, got really depressed, was homeless for a little while, and joined a circus and got my life back on track. So, you know, as you as you do.
1: Yeah, as one does. Exactly. That is an amazing story. Thank you so much for telling it. There's so much there's so much in there. Okay, so when you said you failed, like what actually failed of it? Was it just that – because I – in preparation for this for this interview, I, I did – I went and went on the Wayback Machine and looked at digitalidiots.com and like uh, – you know, and so I I, I haven't I saw even it, done that. And um, it was – you know, that's so fun. Like when people – and we kind of talked about this off, offline, like about – well, I have more to talk about uh, of your past. But when you look at people's past and just see like – what they were doing at the time and where and where you've come from. Yeah. What part of that failed? Was it just that you didn't you didn't like you were a young entrepreneur, you had no idea well, uh, just because I, you had the money?
0: Yeah, I wasn't an entrepreneur. I was I was a jag off that was sitting at a Starbucks talking to an accountant. You know, I I'm not a at the time, I was not a business person. I I literally worked in theater you know i just didn't know what i was doing and i didn't i was afraid to ask questions i was afraid to to not pretend i was afraid to to ask because i was afraid to to be wrong and i was afraid to like Oh, I'm the CEO, air quoting. My actual title was digital, was was head idiot, I think it was something like that. Because you know, it's dot coms, so you have to give yourself a little <laughs> spicy name. I was like, I'm the head idiot or chief idiot. I was a chief, chief idiot. idiot. That's what it was. Yeah, I was chief a chief idiot. idiot. Yeah. But you know, I just didn't, I, I was afraid of not knowing things. And you know, I I at that time I dropped out of college. I didn't have a college degree. And I was just afraid of not knowing. And so That I was going to get found out, you know, that I was, oh, you're not a businessman. Well, no shit, man. And and I was just afraid. And I didn't ask the right people the right questions. And I was surrounded by very smart people, uh, very smart investors. And I just didn't tap that knowledge. And one of the things, an axiom that came out of that for myself, and I've, I've lived by this ever since. It's translatable to every facet of your life. And it is simply never be the smartest person in the room because the moment you are or think you need to be, you have ignored all of the talent and wisdom of everybody else that is in that boardroom, in that soccer game, in that whatever you're doing. Someone has a different opinion and approach that outweighs and embetters the organization whether, again, it's a team or a company or, or whatever, group of friends playing Dungeons and Dragons, right? So never be the smartest person in the room. And I walked away with that. And, and I think it really helped my life, really enabled me to go into different fields and to not feel the need to be, well, yeah, I'm in charge, but that doesn't mean I'm the, I dictate, right? A good leader takes all of the information around them and then congeals it And then brings a a strategy and a direction, like a vector, but not, you know, do this, this way, for this reason, for that. Again, that's a control. And you can control yourself out of business. You can control yourself out of wisdom. And uh, I think that was a big thing that came out of that for me.
1: Yeah, definitely. The leadership, the lessons in leadership are huge. And I think a lot of people... Discount it when mm-hmm. maybe let's say you're working in retail or you're working fast food and you're just like, well, I I don't have anybody underneath me. I don't like how is this leadership stuff uh, relevant to me? Mm-hmm. And it's very relevant. I mean, one yeah. if you can learn to if you can learn to lead, mm-hmm. then. Eventually, you can become a leader. But even if you never end up quote unquote leading a team, if you can put your if you can have empathy and put yourself in your leader's shoes, yeah, you're you're now thinking two steps ahead and be like, okay, well, if I was the boss, I'd be thinking this. I'm I'll go skate to where the puck is going. Right. You know,
0: right. you know the company I'm at now, we just redid our company values, you know, the five things we have our mission statement. And I was I was on that that selection committee and we worked together as a small team. We had value like these five values, but they were made when the company was very small. And now the company is, you know, under 200 people. So we're mid, you know, um, for startup. And um, so we redid our values. And one of the values was act like an owner, was the original one. And we changed that to be a leader. Because not everybody, to your point, not everybody is an owner, right? Now, in the early days of the company, everybody was an owner, literally, right? Now, we can't ask, you know, my junior associate, whatever, to be an owner, he's like, of what? But we can ask them to be a leader because you can lead yourself. You can lead in a room of people far more senior than you. You can lead by example of having a calm personality of bringing good ideas or just bringing ideas, right? Feeling that, that you can lead yourself, you can lead a conversation, you can lead a project, you can lead an effort, even if it's an effort of one, you can still lead that. And one of the things about leadership is you can learn just as much from a good leader as you can a bad one. And by that, you can learn from a good leader and you can learn from a bad boss. Because I've never seen a leader that is bad. I've only seen bosses that are bad. And there's a huge difference there. So one of the best leaders that I ever worked with was, interestingly, not in the Marine Corps, but it was Oprah Winfrey. And I had the opportunity to work for her for a while. And I think of some of some of the simple things that she did that really showed the direction of the organization that trickled down to her managers, to their managers, and then to me, right? Four or five steps down but it redounded down to us and it set the tone for the organization and it set the tone for how, of how we work and how we, our dedication and how we don't work, what we don't do, right? We don't drive people. We just ask people and you'll be surprised who raise your hand to stay late because you're just as committed to the show as everybody else is, as as she is, right? Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And so... Kind of getting us back on track with uh, your story, you kind of alluded to where you you end up. But I kind of wanted to just – since you threw the nuggets out again, you were homeless for a little bit and then yeah. you said you joined a circus. Did you actually join a circus? Or? Yeah.
0: No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was a small circus in Chicago that I ended up accidentally working for and the word accidentally is will come up a lot in in my life because um, i accidentally people just ask you to do something and you're like yeah man that sounds awesome let's do that um and just do it uh it's super fun it's a great way to live and yeah i was i was homeless i was sleeping behind this copy machine at this mailbox etc that i used to work at but i still had the master key so i could and i'd slept behind this copy machine for a while and but i was working for the circus. This, which is kind of like in a in a theater, it was literally called "Where Theater and Circus Collide" was the name of the show, and um, they this guy Jeff Jenkins uh, was the form, was the last head of the Wrigley Brothers Clown College, where there was actually a college for clowns, um, and he had he was the head of that, and he went and did this show called Circus Mercus, which is a summer camp for kids, but it's like it's like um the minor leagues, like there would be like circus scouts that would come in and be like yoink, and they would take. Indra and Salongo Satsabhattar, and they made them into contortionists in Vegas. And they took um, Andrew, and they took a bunch of other people. And, you know, you now work for Cirque du Soleil. You now work for whatever. And so it was very serious. And we did, I forget, we did, as I used to know, it was like 150 shows in seven weeks in 17 towns or something like that. It was some crazy, crazy number. And there was a big top, so we raised the big top and put back down. But, you know, it gave me some money. Uh, it recentered myself a little bit. Went in, went back to Chicago. Did a, uh, my buddy, um, uh, who I'm still friends with, uh, he called me one day and he said, hey, man, I'm double booked for this gig um, to load in these lights, you know, for this thing. It's called being an me a master electrician for a theater. And he says, uh, can you do this load in for me? I was like, sure. Who's the lighting designer? He goes, oh, so-and-so. I was like, oh, I've never, never heard of him." He goes, yeah, I don't either. But, you know, it's a show. It's a big show. And, it's, you know, so I went. I just did. Went in. Did my job. It was just he and, and me and this guy because it's, you know, uh, do, kind of doing the load in bit. And I worked for this guy who I'd never heard of. I worked in Chicago at that point for 10 some years. And I'd never in Theater is a small community. And, um, you know, just do a good job as you do. I don't want to embarrass my friend who, who brought me into the gig. Um, paid really well. And at the end of the week, the guy was like, "Hey, um, you know, you're a good worker." I was like, "Thanks." And and he says, um, "I'm leaving town. I'm moving to like Vermont or something. I think it's Connecticut." And he says, "I need somebody to um, take over my my role." And I'm like, "Well, I'm not really a designer." He goes, "No, no, no. This I just do this for fun. Um, but I'm in charge. You know, I need to pull somebody forward and and offer you know basically give them my job." And I was like, "Well, what what do you?" do? Like, I've never heard of you. What do you? He goes, oh, I'm on the lighting crew for Oprah Winfrey. And I was like, what? He goes, yeah, we just, we worked really, we just had a great relationship this week and you worked really hard. And I think you'd be a great replacement for me at the Oprah Winfrey show. And I was like, motherfucker. Like, that's how that happens, right? You just, you don't know who you're talking to, you know, and it doesn't matter. You're just doing your job and you're doing a good job. And then next thing you know, you're at a coffee shop raising a million dollars. You're working in a theater and you're now working for Oprah Winfrey and you're just, you know, you just, I don't know, man. You do good work. You're a nice person. Don't be a dick, you know, and just be humble. And by humble, I mean don't be the smartest person in the room, you know. Say what you don't know and ask questions. Ask intelligent questions, you know. Um, That's that's how I got to Oprah Winfrey. With,
1: With now we're At Oprah, you said that she was the best leader that you've worked for. Mm -hmm. Could you just give like one example of a a leadership
0: Yeah, it's my favorite story. It's my first day. Um, It was the last episode of the 19th season. and the 20th season, we're going to rip down the set. We're going to build this new set, which is the one that she retired on, the blue set. Um, And it was our last day. And she took – it was my first day. Um, but she took the entire crew, like all the producers, and they went across the street to this bar and they just threw this big like celebration dinner. Except for this, uh, my boss, and the one of the the uh, project man, managers um, came up and he's like, Jason, you're going to work with Bob, right? Um, and so Bob, you're not going to go to the party. You're going to stay with Jason. And you're going to take down these curtains. And Bob was pissed. He was like. I've been to the whole we're working for like five hours and they're over there just getting drunk and uh and Bob the whole five hours and I'm like this is my first day, you know, and Bob's like tearing down these curtains and he's like and he's grumbling the whole time and blah blah, blah and he's Ugh. five hours <laughs> and they all come back in, you know, because it's literally across the street. They all come back in, like a hundred of them, and they're like, whoa, we're going, like, uh, we're going to Hawaii. Whoa!" You know, and he, this guy, Bob was like, mother, what, what? And they're all like, we're going. And they're drunk. We're going. To <laughs> and Bob was like about to lose his stuff, man. And so our, our project man, our, our program manager came up, um, production manager, I keep saying uh, production manager, came up to Bob and he was like, Bob, you know, only people that, uh, the, uh, that can go on the trip are people that worked over 500 hours on the show. And, you know, and he was like, what are you talking about? I did... The whole season I did blah, blah, blah. How could I not be at, at, uh, at 500 hours? And he goes, you weren't at 500 hours. You were at 495 hours. And you just worked five hours. Congratulations, you're going to Hawaii. You know, And to have that freedom and that ability to recognize, first of all, the ability to recognize, but then give people the, 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 the confidence to make those managerial decisions you can't tell the guy why you just have to kind of trust that maybe he had a plan and or maybe they didn't, but in this particular case they had a plan. And so this guy went to Hawaii with him and his, you know, that one person They got a credit card with like $2,000 on it for spending money. Everybody flew over. They stayed at the Oprah mansion thing, you know, and they all went and they had a great time because it was just employees. And, um, you know, that's, it was just an, a great example of when you when you make a good team, then that team has uh, the ability to make the right decisions for their team, um, and it goes down and down and down until it gets to Bob, where he needs to make five hours so that he can go on this trip, which probably costs ten or fifteen thousand dollars. Oh, she's a billionaire. Billionaires care more about money than you think. Um, that's why they're billionaires. But, you know, that was just a great example. And it was my first day. And I was like, huh, this is going to be an interesting place.
1: That is awesome. And uh, I imagine, did Bob get informed? Like, he got informed right then, like right then and there. Did right his whole demeanor just j- just change? Oh, of course.
0: Because he almost had that look of like, I knew you guys. Like he, you know, but I would be pissed too. He missed the party and he missed his, to, you know, party with his friends. And yeah, I, I would have been mad too. Because you can't be told the reason because that would be... You know, the cat's out of the bag at that point, and so yeah, yeah, he was, he was, he was freaking thrilled. You know, <laughs>
1: so and yeah. so we go from lighting the Oprah set, right, tearing down these curtains and and getting ready. I think you worked there for a little over a year.
0: Yeah, a little over a year. Yeah,
1: and now we're working in IT. Yeah, how does, kind that, of. How does that happen?
0: Yeah. Um, accidentally uh i uh you know oprah at the end of the 20th season um she told us that kind of the crew she says, you know hey look i'm retiring at at 25 yeah, 25 years and this is the end of the 20th um i'm telling you this now so that you can make your professional plans you know and she told us five years in advance four years in advance at that point and i knew that if she was going to go another 10 years i probably could have been um a production manager, you know. Um I kind of anyway, and uh but I knew that in that 4 years I wasn't I was just going to kind of remain this lighting guy. And I didn't want to be a lighting guy, you know. Um and and so I made the decision to to leave the show. Um and I went and I just got this random job working for this company. I was doing their website, you know, cuz I knew how to code but like really bad, you know, but I the whole startup thing is because I taught myself how to code. I missed that part. But, you know, so there's like some layers there. So I taught myself how to code, weirdly, um, by reading the big yellow book, you know, the Bible, PHP Bible that's 2,000 pages. I read that fucking thing. Um, who reads it? I did. I read <laughs> yeah. Cover to cover, I read it. And I just was trying stuff. Anyway, that's how I learned how to code. So I, I knew how to code. So I did this thing. And I had made this fan website. because um, I was playing this video game called Star Wars Galaxies. Um, and I made this fan website. Um, loot something. I forgot what I called it. it. doesn't matter. But, you know, it was just a fan site. And I made some money on the Google ads and stuff. So I was making like 400 bucks a month. And my rent was 425 I had three roommates, which is why, you know um and so i was like cool um and i was making this fan website and i was in this guild you know a video gaming guild and this guy named yak y-a-k yak um he uh he and i are good friends we've been in this guild together for two years you know nobody's talked to each other this is like before the days of like you know uh uh you know discord and stuff so we're just typing in these message boards we're playing a video game together and um one day yak sends me a you know, hops in my, hops in my DMS, if you will. And he, uh, he says, Hey man, um, I see you're, you're a pretty decent coder. I wasn't. Um, do you want to come out to Washington DC and work for me? And I was like, one, what are you doing? I live in Chicago and no, like I was kind of pretty happy doing what I was doing. I was making $55,000. And I remember when I got that first salary, they were like, oh, we're going to pay you $55,000. I ran across my, my, around my apartment and be like, $55,000? How could I spend that much money? Oh, my God. You know, I'm rich. I'm rich, bitch. Like, I, was, I, would literally, was, I literally was like up and down my apartment. I was overjoyed. Like, $55,000? What? <laughs> and so he was like, he goes, "No, just come out to DC, you know." And I was like, "Well, what do you do?" And he goes, well, "Well, we'll get into that." I was like, "That's shady," but you know, well. And so they called, and like his boss called me, and he's like, "Oh, we got this project we want to work on." I'm like, "Why me?" And it turns out that this project, um, well, so I finally said yes. Fine, they broke me down, and it was like July third or something like that. It was July third. Um, it's Friday, tomorrow, Saturday was July 4th because that's how numbers work. Um, and they, I finally said, yes, uh, they're going to pay me $72,000. Uh, and they were like, okay, cool. Be in the office on Monday. And I was like, um, I live in Chicago. Uh, And they're like, yeah. And tomorrow's July 4th. Yeah. Be in the office on Monday. Where am I going to live? They're like, oh, we'll put you in a corporate condo for three months until you find a place to live. Okay what do i do with all my stuff and they're like pack some bags come out here and they i swear to you they said this to me they're like how much is everything in your apartment worth and i was like huh like how much is everything in your apartment worth true fucking story uh i was like and i looked around i'm a broke fucking artist artist i'm like uh and i was like five thousand dollars or whatever number i gave them you know what i mean I was like, oh, one billion dollars <laughs> yeah. and i don't know it was like five thousand. they were like okay cool like and I just fucking left. Um, and this, is, I'll tell you this because it was fucking fun, man. I, a friend of mine named Maddie Johnson. I called up Maddie and I said, Maddie, who we worked in theater together, and um, I said, Maddie, man, I got, I got to leave. I don't ask questions, just whatever. And um, so he's like, What do you need? And I, so I sent out. A, I made a list of everything that's in my apartment, like dishes in the dish drawer, posters on the wall, sheets on the bed, television in the room, like when I say everything, I mean everything. I just made a list and I sent out an email to all my artist friends. And I was like, come over, pick my bones. But the rule is only take what you need. And at the end of the day, you can take what you want. And Maddie being a good friend on July 4th sat in my empty apartment and friends would trickle in. Oh, I need an air conditioner. Oh, I need this. I need that. And for months I was getting emails from friends of mine being like, Hey man, I want to let you know, I just moved in a new place, and I took your dishes. And so every time I, you know, eat eat dish, you know, eat off those dishes, I think of you. Hey, man, I got your air conditioner, and it was just the best thing, man. I just gave everything away. And so the job in DC was working for a company called Miter. Miter is a federally funded research and development center. Uh, They make prototypes for the Department of Defense, intelligence community, all in a bunch of other people. And this was a DARPA project. Um, DARPA is the research arm of the Army, uh, and they needed somebody who knew how to program, somebody who had experience in a forward operating base, and someone who knew what an NLE was, a nonlinear editor. So they needed somebody to, to make a program so that platoon leaders in forward operating bases could go on patrol, take all that video edit it together, and send it back to CONUS, Continental United States. So what's the population of people in the United States that are former military, knew how to program, and had a startup.com on how to train people to use digital editing systems? I don't know. The population's like two, maybe, which makes sense why they were so persistent in calling me. So like, do this thing. And um, so I was like, okay. I got out there, and I was like, this is what I'm doing now. And so that was my first office job. And I ended up going out to D.C. Sounded cool. So I did. And I was out there for 11 some years. And again, MITRE has the largest population of Ph.D.s of like any organization. Right. Um, And of any, you know, research company. Um, Everybody, everybody has a Ph.D. And I'm sitting over here with no degree. I'm sitting over here with like a year and a half of college you know and um and i'm in the same room and i'm giving my opinion and i'm talking to them and it's it's terrifying you know and and i i often say and this i i think this is true that um one just you know don't be afraid but at the same time if you find yourself you know jumping into new waters and you don't feel terrified you probably haven't leapt far enough you know And I can tell you that every job I have had up to and including Oprah and, you know, working at MITRE, I was terrified. I did not know what I was doing. Um, And I think one of the things that you can do in life is learn how to learn. And it gets to that thing at the very top when we talked about standards and we talked about, you know, cyber risk controls and things like that. Well, I learned how to learn. Um... And when I tell people, you know, they're like, oh, I could never learn that. And I'm like, you're right. You can't. You can't learn the thing. You can't learn to be an amazing programmer. You can get to being an amazing programmer, right? But you learn because you start really small. And I, I equate it to uh, X-Men, the comic book, is how I learn how to learn. This is true. Um, my very first job when I was 13, whatever, I was making... Uh, yeah, my first job was at 13. It was totally illegal. But yeah, I made $10. <laughs> I made $10 a day at this pet pet store cleaning the cages. And I it was an 8-hour day and I made 10 bucks a day cash, under the table cash. And I would take that 10 bucks as 13-year-old. And I walk over in the same strip mall and I would walk in the first day and I have my $10. And I was like, "I want some comic books." And the guys like, "Sure." So we're walking around and I was like, oh, Spider-Man or whatever. And he's like, X-Men. Like, I've heard of X-Men. He goes, and the guy behind the counter is like, no, you don't want to read X-Men. I was like, why? He goes, well, they're on like issue 562. You know, you won't know what's going on. And I was like, Well, now you just, I'm going to do it because fuck (laughs) you. (laughs) So it's a 13-year-old and I was like, bet. So I put my $10 down and I got two episodes, two editions of X-Men. And he was absolutely right, man. I opened up that comic book. There was plot lines that went back two years. I didn't know what was happening. And I set that one down, thoroughly confused. I don't know who these characters are, who enemies are, this arc. Put that one down and I read the next one. Still didn't know what I was doing, but I'm persistent. And so I went back day after day and I got more. and I got the next, you know, the next one. And I got the next one. And I got the next one. And about, I don't know, three months into this, four months, it doesn't matter, um, into this, reading this X-Men, I opened up the issue and I was like, ooh, I know that character. Ooh, that's that. That's what happened. Ooh, that's that bad guy. And I read the next one and I was like, oh, and then all of a sudden... You start to understand because you've moved along the plot. Do you go back to issue one? No. When you start to learn programming, do you go back to the first programming language ever written? No. You start where you are, and all of a sudden, over time, you kind of catch up. And so I view learning, and I tell a lot of people this, and tell you and your listeners that too, is that learning is like reading X-Men. You're not going to know what's going on but just be persistent keep reading and soon enough you will understand the plot line and that's how you learn that's in the simplest form that's how you learn
1: amazing and it's just that persistence as well right like um your first two or three issues like you said you have no idea what's going on and that's yeah. the same thing with with anything else uh yeah. whether it be theater lighting or yeah learning how to code you know you're just like somebody just tells you hey put that light over there it needs to be at it needs right. to be about 45 degree angle to the right. to the subject's face you're like oh, why do you yeah. do that well because the shadows and everything don't worry about it just do it you know and i mean and like you'll you'll learn the rest you'll learn the rest later with mm-hmm. all of it will be filled in with context right. uh you know you'll be able to read between the lines yep. later yep with i just wanted to touch on the NLE. So for those listening, non-linear editing, is that mm-hmm. like Adobe yeah, Premiere? it's like
0: Premiere. Yeah, exactly. Um, in fact, it was Adobe Premiere, like Final Cut Pro or something like that. Um, you know, we did it for the DARPA project just using Flash video. You can actually do a lot in manipulating video using Flash animation, um, which was interesting. Um, and so we did that. Now about Three months into this, it's my first office job. I didn't know what I was doing, um, and about three months into this, they came into my office. You co-share an office person shared my office. She was robotics, so there was always like little robots, little on tracks, like running around. It's weird. Um, MITRE was a cool place to work, man. Um, and uh, and they came into my office, like, hey, Jason, um, DARPA project, DARPA funding got cut. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, what what? what do I do now? And they're like, we don't know, figure it out. And I was like, what? Like, yeah, just find a project. And I was like, huh? So I just fucking went knocking on doors. Hey man, what are you working on? Oh, nothing. Can I help? Sure. Hey, oh, man, what are you working on? Can I help? Sure. You know, or no, go away. Who are you? But you just find your way. And this is a research company. And I moved over. This is one of the things, and I think that one of the, this is from a I think one of the things that happens with people that don't get college degrees is they tend to take a different path in life. They their their life can be a little windy. Their their life can have fits and starts. Their life can lead them in ways that in degrees in which they 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 never knew that they would go in. I never in a million years thought that I would be doing any of this stuff. I thought I was going to be, you know, working in theater and film for my life and I was going to be very happy with that. But I just said, yes, to really interesting things. And I think that one of the powers that we have um, in, in the fact that we have to make our life, you know, our life isn't on a path, um, is that we think differently. We process differently. And I was in the room with all these PhDs. And these are kids, people, you know, that did excellent in high school. They went directly into college and they did excellent. They did probably a, um, a master's program or an MBA or something, and they'd got a, a postgraduate degree. Then they went and got their PhD, right? And so they've been in school from the time, you know, they graduated high school until this is their first job. Just like it was my first job, it was their first job. But they had done this path. So they knew how to do robotics really well. They knew how to do whatever they were doing, human language interpreting. They knew how to do all that stuff really well. But they didn't know how to think, right? They knew how to do their thing, but they didn't know how to think or process or creatively approach a thing, right? We go in, we make stuff up because we have no other context. And so one of the things that ended up happening is I would be sitting in a room and I'd be like, what if we do this thing? And they're like, yeah. Because they've they they they've learned how to learn using their guide rails. I didn't. And so I got to be known as the creative guy. And they would bring me in. They're like, Jason, we've got this problem. And I'd like walk me through it. And like, I kind of got this reputation of just like, and I was like, it's not that I was, I was super smart. I was just like, oh, okay. And you whittle things down and it's like, well, what we do is X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, don't tell me how. I don't give a crap about how. Tell me why. Why are we doing this thing? Oh, well, okay. Now walk me through it. And in telling you, once you once you get to the point of why, then they tell you how. And you're like, well, that doesn't match. What about this? Or you're getting off, the, you're doing it, you're, you're, the Y is wrong. The Y is actually Z. And then once you start with that, and you can be a creative thinker. Um, ADHD also helps, by the way, uh, <laughs> because, you know, we're bottom up thinkers. And um, but, yeah, I got that reputation. And so I very quickly moved over to the intelligence community and I was doing some work. Um, I spent probably most of my time at MITRE um, working in the intelligence community. Um, and I became the department chief engineer. Um, and the entire department was made up of mostly PhDs that we're working in the intelligence community and I was the department chief engineer for the only reason that I, I knew how to think and I knew how to ask why. And uh, yeah,
1: there's, it seems like one of the things that I try to talk about on this podcast is being willing to fail. And it's something that I really, have you, I'm not expecting you yes, but have you ever read that book, uh, Mindset? I think it's no. Angela Kowdowak. Anyway, um, there's like a growth mindset and there's a fixed mindset. Uh, basically, to wrap it up, I was raised in a very fixed mindset household. Of Asian people, they, uh, they say, good job for doing something smart. And they don't really say good job based on how – like how much you failed or how much work put into it, right? Like if I win a chess game, good job. It didn't matter if I like tried really hard at it. Um, if I lost, bad job, right? Yeah. I could be playing the best player in the world. I be playing Magnus Carlsen. And if I lost, they'd be like, you're a loser. You know, right. be like, you tried your hardest. So coming from that mindset, coming from that background, you, you don't really wanna get out there and you don't really wanna fail. And this is something that I still struggle with to this day of getting out there. And I think it's really, really important for everybody, but especially for people that are degree free, Mm -hmm. that are trying to live this life without it because of exactly what you were talking about of like when you're early in your career and that might even be a cop out. I think at all times, you know, saying yes is probably better than saying no until you get to like a certain place of which most of these people aren't listening to this podcast. but you just have to say yes and know that you're going to fail and mm-hmm. that it's okay. You're going to have, everything else you're going to learn along the way. And I think right. that's where you get that quote unquote out of the box thinking.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think that people, so fail fast, right? That's, that's the, the term of art. Um, and it sounds really great on paper but it takes trust, um, trust in yourself, but it also takes trust in your leadership is, you know, what, how risk tolerant is your leadership? Um, and if they are very risk averse, failing, um, is viewed as a negative. Whereas the way it's not the fact that you fail, it's how you fail and when you fail, that makes fail your good. Um, fail fast. Okay, try something. But you can't just try things. You have to know why you are trying something. What is your hypothesis for this effort? Once you, in science, prove a hypothesis wrong, you form a new hypothesis based on that knowledge of, ooh, that light bulb didn't work, that because of potentially this or that. And you keep trying 500 times until Edison didn't invent the light bulb. Right. So, but, uh, that's the story that goes. And so how you fail and what you can bring to the table in knowledge of, you know, never bring up, never be the person that only brings problems, bring a problem and, uh, a potential solution. Hey boss, I'm really struggling with this, blah, blah, blah. Here's what I've tried. I've tried X, Y, and Z. Um, and I can't seem to make it work. Do you have any feedback? Do you have any direction that you can give me? If an employee comes to me and says that, they are my my new best friend, right? Um, I had one of the smartest, not one of the smartest, one of the best employees I ever had, um, his first job at MITRE. And um, he would come to me with these really silly questions. Um, And I didn't know the answer to them, but I would type it into the old Google machine, And that first result was the answer he was looking for. He kept coming to me, kept coming to me, and he kept coming to me. And I got, I started to get kind of pissed off. Um, And I was like, dude, what are you doing? He goes, well, I just didn't know the answer. And I told him this. I said, the next time you come in my office and you ask me a question, if the first result in the Google machine is the answer, you're in trouble, right? And what that gave him was confidence to figure things out on his own. He was terrified of making a mistake. Like, dude, come to me and say, hey, here's my problem. I've Googled this. This is what I've tried. Do you have an alternative that I might should be, you know, that, that might direct me in a better way? That's a great question that every boss will appreciate. You know, and if they don't, that just means that they're a bad boss, you know. And now you're just gonna learn, learn from a bad boss. Be like, when I'm in leadership, I'm not gonna do this. You know, my parents did this to me in chess games. Well, when my kid plays chess, I'm going to say, you know what? That's amazing. You know, and they, they say this, don't say good job. I just learned this. They say, um, don't say, wow, you did a really good job. Say, wow, I can see the effort that you put in. And that switching of phrases makes it from, oh, I'm, I'm good at this versus I work hard and this is the result. Right. And it changes the mindset. And it's fascinating.
1: Yep. Totally. Totally. And that's the basis of the of that book mindset that we were talking about. And still to this day, it's a very difficult habit to break. I have a friend who is very successful. He's a a process engineer at a very large public company. And uh, he I was texting him and I was like, hey, did you see this? uh, Whatever is a game or I forget what it was. I was like, did you get into that? Um, And he's like, no, I don't do things I'm not good at and like like that was literally his yeah. thing. and you know we were raised together and i, I totally understand that mindset still like you yeah. know he's still not willing even though the the stakes are super like it's a social thing right like um yeah. he's still not willing to break that frame and go outside of it because he was uh discouraged from doing things that he wasn't good at for yeah. so for so long you know it, it
0: so when I was, you know, so I was in the Marine Corps and I got out of the Marine Corps and I knew that I wanted to be um, a movie director. And at the time I was doing some like lighting in high school and I kind of started to get like little pickup jobs in D- in, in D.C., in uh, Chicago, doing some lighting stuff. And um, but I knew that I couldn't make the leap from being a lighting guy to being a director. Like that's just not a, a through line. And so I was working at mailbox, et cetera, before I was homeless. This is when I was working there. Um, this lady came in uh, and we got chatting. Um, I was like, oh, I'm new here. Oh, what are you doing? Oh, I'm, you know, I'm in theater. And she goes, oh, I'm in theater too. I was like, oh, cool. She goes, um, well, hey, I'm, I'm about to start rehearsals um, for this play that I'm directing. Uh, what do you do? You know, what do you do in theater? And in that moment, in that half second, I didn't say, oh, I do lighting. I said, oh, I'm a stage manager. And she was like, oh, I need a stage manager. I was like, cool. Because I knew that you can get from stage management to directing, right? But you can't get from lighting. So in that half a second, I was like, oh, I'm a stage manager. Have I ever stage managed anything? No. Did I know what stage management was? Not really. Uh so what did I do? Getting to your friend, right? What did I do? I bought a book because you can learn anything from a book. And the book was called Stage Management. And <laughs> When first rehearsal, I read the chapter on first rehearsal. I <laughs> love that chapter. You know, like, um, whatever. And I read that chapter the night before and I did the things in the book and I, you know, and I literally did That's I just literally, that's what I did. And I was like, oh, and it's like, here's how you mark up a script for cues and stuff. And, oh, here's what you, how you blah blah. blah. And, oh, tech rehearsal. I read the fucking chapter on tech rehearsals. Like in the, you know, opening night and, you know, blah, 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 closing night. I read that book just in time, just in time learning and what what had happened was, um, at the at the end of that play, um, she came up to me. She goes, "You're the best stage manager I ever had," and I was like, "I was confused." I was like, "Well, I have never done it before." She goes, "You, I've never, I have never had anybody do a script analysis for me, and blah blah blah." And I was like, well, "That's just what the book said to do." So I just did the. Nope, we don't actually do this. And he goes, no, nobody does that. But I did. And so it just got me a reputation in the Chicago. Who's was like, this guy's an amazing stage manager. And so I started stage managing. And it's just like, that's, I was like, in the moment, I was like, I'm terrified. I'm terrified. But I read a book and I read the chapter and I went in and I did a good and authentic job. Um, and, you know, I, I got good at it. And, and you get a reputation for being good and it elevates and it elevates and it elevates. And, you know, but yeah, it's just, it's a, it's an idea of that, you know, you can not do a thing because you're not good at it, but how can you be good at it if you haven't done the thing? And so, you know,
1: one of the things that people really struggle with, and and I'll call myself out here. I struggle. all of the things that I say that people struggle with. I'd really just talking about myself. They're my own insecurities coming out. And like one of the things was that whenever I get hired for a new role and I'm an entrepreneur now, so I don't really get hired, but even when I do things in my own business that I've never done before, like I'm taking business meetings, which is actually even a little bit more. um, I have nobody to fall back on. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there's a little bit more pressure. I always feel this huge imposter syndrome. Like here Mm -hmm. I am like, I wouldn't have been able to do what you did. Like I wouldn't have been able to say I'm a stage manager and then uh, buy a freaking book and then, and, and, and then do it because I would just, even though I feel like maybe I could have, I could have done it, but you know, I would just feel like too much of an imposter to do that. Like how do you get over that?
0: You don't. um, uh, I think that imposter syndrome is so healthy. Um, it, it keeps you moving forward, it keeps you engaged, it keeps you learning. And the truth is, is if you are at a table and you feel very comfortable, you're probably at the wrong table because you might be stagnant, you know? Um, am I good at my job? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty darn good at my job. Am I in rooms and I know how to you know, act and perform in that room? Of course I do. Um, but do I look across the table and I'm like, wow, that person is so accomplished. Wow. That person is so smarter, so much more smarter than me. Wow, that person has been doing it far longer. Oh my God, that person has a PhD in cybersecurity. And here I am having never gone to school for, for that, but Hey, I've got some nice certifications, you know, imposter syndrome just tells you that you're in the right room. Um, and, and is, is used as a tool and, One of the things that I love is this idea of sonder. Um, Sonder is this word that doesn't really exist, but it was defined in this book. And it just simply says that everybody is living an equally complex life as you. Um, And if you can take sonder, that means that I can look across the table at you, Ryan, and I can look across the table at my boss or whomever, um, and I can say, wow, what's going on behind their eyes? How terrified are they? What imposter syndrome do they have? Oh, that person's the CTO. They don't have imposter syndrome. Bet, you know, and imposter syndrome just tells you that you're you're in the right spot.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it's definitely something that with so many people that listen to this podcast, they're transitioning from one industry into a completely different industry, and they're going to feel that within hopefully the next couple of weeks, they're applying to jobs, hopefully the next couple of months they, they, they land it and you're going to be sitting in this new role. It's kind of just like you at MITRE, right? Like you went from Chicago uh, one literally on Friday. And then on, on the next day you're in DC mm-hmm. and you're working on an NLE. And you're just like, I have no freaking clue why I'm here. Um, you know, it's when people are experiencing it, just know that it's normal. And that mm-hmm. like, you know, you're not alone. Like, and for the most part, and most organizations, people are sympathetic to that, right? Like, or, or even empathetic to that, like, they, Mm -hmm. they've all been there. And as long as you're coming kind of backtracking to what you said, which as long as you're coming to them with uh, good questions and caring, you're, they're going to help you out. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that questions things that you were talking about is so important, not necessarily just in a in a leadership type of capacity when you're going to your leaders, but also when you're doing outreach or Mm -hmm. when you're trying to get help from somebody Um, like we get a lot of we get a lot of inbound um, and we encourage it. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, people uh, hit us up, comment, uh, you know, email us, whatever. We're available. But a lot of it is. um, Hey. I want to get into tech. How do I do it? Right. And it's just like, dude, you know, not to, you know, beat anybody up because I was there. Mm-hmm. But like we put out a weekly podcast. We've got 70 plus episodes now. Uh, hours and hours. Our TikTok is full. You know, we I do this full time. Like there's a lot of stuff that in there. But when yeah. people are like, hey, look, here's the context behind what I do. I'm an older worker. I used to be a teacher. I'm looking yeah. to I I wanna get out. I want to stop dealing with kids. Da da, da da Here's the things that I've done. Mm-hmm. Okay, now I can I I can talk to you. You know, we can yeah. have like a more conversation there. And so
0: Yeah. I you know, I get asked a lot, um, actually in in TikTok messages, you know, either in a TikTok that I've made, which I don't really do so much anymore, but at one time I did, or just in, you know, in uh like in your 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 channel, where I commented about you know what I do and what I make and that I don't have a, a college degree um and I think that one of the things that most people are afraid to do is change one change is terrifying, but when you look at change or you look at a new industry, i want to get into tech well, that's a big word, right? I want to get into shoe sales oh i don't I don't you know what I mean like. Um, you can't solve that is an unsolvable problem. Um, one of the one of the favorite quotes that I, I give a lot of lectures at conferences and stuff. And and one of my favorite quotes is um, by a guy named George Polya. He's a 1945 hung, um, Hungarian mathematician. He wrote a book called How to Solve It. Um, I call it the greatest cybersecurity book that was ever written. Um, obviously, it's not about cybersecurity. 1944. It's published in 1945. Um, It is a book on how to teach um, mathematics to teachers. So teaching people how to teach mathematics. And in that book, um, he has this quote that says, if there's a problem too big to solve, there is a smaller problem you can solve, find it, you know, and it's about decomposition. It's about bringing a problem down to its simplest forms because I can solve a small problem. I can't solve how to get into tech, but I can solve what certifications should I be looking for? What soft skills do I have? Is this your first job? No. So do you know how to write a report? Do you know how to, I don't know, lead children into a class, have recess? Well, guess what? You now know how to herd cats and a Thing that a a a good leader and manager should know how to do is herd cats, right? How to deal with egos in the room, how to deal with the temper tantrums, how to deal with calm, rational thinking, how to put a plan together. Teachers are really great at, at plans. Well, guess what? Maybe getting into tech means that you get your certification in Salesforce, right? Maybe you get your certification in whatever because it's about leading and about organizing. Getting into tech doesn't mean that you're a programmer. Getting into cybersecurity does not mean that you're a hacker, right? I go to MBA students and I say, hey, do you want to get into cybersecurity? They're like, no, I got an MBA. I'm like, that means that you're a good business manager. Cybersecurity is about business risk. Guess what you know? You know business. Now all you have to know is this little bit of technology. So now all you have to learn is this because your soft skills surround cybersecurity. Now all you have to do is read X-Men for a couple of months and you'll know the right technical terms, right? You're like, oh, I I could never get into tech. I could never get into cybersecurity. Cybersecurity is there are far more people that work in cybersecurity whose fingers never touch the hacker keyboard, right? The system. I've never been a system administrator in my life. I couldn't find my way around a CLI if I wanted to, command line interface, could never do it, right? But I hire people that can, hire your weakness, you know? Know what you're good at, know what you're not good at, and then hire people that are good at the thing that you're bad at. And then teach them what you're good at and hopefully you can absorb some of the things that they're good
1: at. Congratulations, you're now a good leader. Totally, totally. One of the things that the, with Hannah's story, the way that she got into tech was that she got a Salesforce administrator certificate, and uh, then she she went from the call center, unemployed. Thirty days later, getting the admin certificate, and then getting a job, yeah. and she could barely turn on a computer. She can still mm. she's still terrible. She sure. but that's not her job, right? right? Like I mean, she was an admin for a little while. And she got, she got the cert so that people could, you know, okay, you got the cert. Perfect. That's what we need. But exactly what you said, the surrounding soft skills she used, she used a cert to get her foot in the door. And then she went into places where she was strong and now she's in a great place yep. right, where she's, yep. where she's doing everything that she's uh, good at and yep. she doesn't have to do anything she's bad at, you know? Yeah. For the most what part. I can
0: what I want to give everybody confidence in is um there comes a point in your career where people don't give a shit what your college degree was. Like now yeah, if you went to Harvard or something, yeah, sure it looks really good, but like man, I have never like have I not gotten jobs because I didn't have college degree on my resume? Absolutely. Absolutely. Could that college degree have been in basket weaving? Absolutely. Absolutely, right? Master's in <laughs> Nobody cares, right? <laughs> College degree, master's, or you know what? That, 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 nobody cares. They just care that you've got this little thing. Now it weeds you out of a bunch of jobs. But like, maybe, and it's frustrating. Like I did when I finally started applying for jobs. I was very fortunate that as you can kind of tell a lot of my jobs. In fact, including the one that I got very first in cybersecurity, I got from from friends that were doing a thing that I didn't know what they did in life i didn't know what their job was they were just a friend you know i was playing video games with yak a guy named jay crossler um i was you know playing warhammer 40k the little figurines at the games workshop um with a, a guy named lynn um leonard uh and we were playing for warhammer 40k and he was like oh i work at miter he was oh and he was like doing some stuff and uh and he goes hey so it's a, long, it's a weirder story, but I'll, I'll truncate it. I was about to hike the Appalachian Trail um, after so I left MITRE, worked on an organic livestock farm because I got curious about farming. Um, so I left this job that was paying me $110,000 a year to, be, to make $9.75 uh, an hour as an intern um, at an organic livestock farm because why not? So I did. And um, anyway... I did that for a year, almost a year. I was about to hike the Appalachian Trail, went in. My buddy Leonard, uh, Lynn, it was like, hey, blah blah blah. Went to this company, they were doing this conference. And they're like, oh, you used to work in theater. Can you help us like jazz up some of these scripts because they're doing like this role play kind of thing? I was like, yeah, sure. Went in, did the thing, and I walked away. They paid me for a couple of hours, five hundred bucks. I was like, sweet, thanks. Um, And I left. And Lynn called me up, and he goes, dude. You blew everybody's socks off. They can, can we hire you? And I'm like, one, I don't work in cybersecurity. Two, I'm about to hike the Appalachian Trail. And three, no, like no. And he was like, oh, just can you come back in for another session? And I was like, dude, you're paying me, I'll come back in. And it was like five days before I was gonna hike. I'm like, I'm in a like in a hotel with my backpack. Like I my stuff is in storage. Like I'm hiking the Appalachian Trail. And it's like three days to one. And I was like, I'm leaving like in two days. And they put a fucking offer down. And I was like, damn it. It's like, <laughs> I, I, I guess I work in cybersecurity now. And that is the day. And I wasn't I was I wasn't joking earlier. I went home and I opened up the computer. And I was like, what is cybersecurity? Yeah. And what I found out is that all of my previous jobs, going all the way back to you know the military, into theater, and into you know working at a bad .com, which is my own fault, um, doing this, doing that, working at Oprah, working at Miter, um, it brought me this enormous amount of soft skills that I could walk in, and again, all I had to do was read X Men for a little while and figure it out. And then trust that I had a team of five people that I was now leading who have been working in cybersecurity and information technology for entire you know, decades, and I'm now leading them. So what did I do? I asked intelligent questions. I didn't pretend to know it all. I was not the smartest person in the room. And I leaned on the strengths of the people around me, because that's what a good leader does. And so, yeah, I, I Googled what is cybersecurity. But if you know, if you, if you learn how to learn, then it's not that daunting, you know? And when I inevitably got fired from that job, which is a funny story, which we won't tell, uh, but, um, it got fired for all the right reasons, which is okay. Um, it is okay in life if you get fired for the right reasons. Um, but I found myself, I got the cybersecurity job because I didn't apply for this job, Right. But I'm now in a position where I have to start applying for jobs. I don't have a college degree and I have no certifications to my name. And so I went and I studied just, just, you know, like you said, I studied for 30 days. I was unemployed. I had nothing better to do. So I got the big book on the CISSP, you know, and chapter one, read it chapter two. And I read it. I learned about encryption and all these things. And I knew the words at that point because I'd worked at this company for a couple of years. So I knew some of the words, but I didn't know how to apply the words. And so I studied eight hours a day because um, I'm terrified at this point that I have to now, you know, one of one of the worst things that you can do in life is make money. When I was an artist living in Chicago, uh, I was making no money. I was barely paying my rent and I was the happiest I'd ever been. But then you get a little taste, you know, you start working for Oprah and you start making some money Then you go to DC and you really start making some money. And now it's like, well, fuck, can I go back to not making any money? And, um, I, I always say that like one of the worst things you can do in life is start to make money. It's, um, it's fascinating the way that works. But anyway, so I studied really hard and um I went in, and their pass rate of the CISSP for the first time is like 30%. 30% of people, 70% of the people fail it. I uh, I studied, I was very fortunate, I passed it the first time. Um, I then got my second certification called the C-Risk. I have this out because one of my teammates, one of my employees, is going after certifications and we were chatting this morning in our one-on-one, and I was like, C-risk, uh, C-R-I-S-C. Um, which is is, certified in risk and information systems control. So I have a couple of other like, um, there's only two certifications I have. I have a couple of of certificates on like cloud security and insider threat and some other things. Um, But those are the only two certifications that I have. And honestly, the only two certifications that I would probably ever have because they're, it's all I need, you know. So, but yeah, and then I started applying for jobs and I had that CISSP on my resume you start getting calls
1: with the certifications that's one of the things like it's how we first i uh, got connected through uh the our series that we're doing on tech certifications that can make you more than a master's degree yeah. and we've kind of talked about offline about it and like we are very glad that the message is getting out there but i think what a lot of people think is that the certifications are like a silver bullet and like once mm. you get it you're gonna you're gonna mm-hmm. get the job yeah. um and as we were talking, it's a little difficult to to add a bunch of context in fifteen seconds or one minute of a video, which is why we do this podcast so we can add a little bit more context behind it. But for those people that are just looking to get into, um, you know, tech search for IT specifically, mm-hmm. I from what I understand, I think the CISSP that one you need uh, experience behind it.
0: Yeah. yeah, you have to have a – so to get your CISSP, you have to have a sponsor. Um, and that person, that sponsor has to have the CISSP. Um, then you have to have X number of years of, of experience, like five years of experience. Now, you can still get the CISSP um, if you have a sponsor but you don't have the experience. They just kind of put you in this like temporary – I don't know what they call it. Um, but, you know, the CISSP, the way that it's described is that's like master's – school like you go to master's you know uh, you know for your master's degree is like getting at the end of that master's degree in cybersecurity, you'll be able to take the cissp and pass that's how they kind of conversate it um other things that like there's smaller certifications um you know people a lot of ways that people always start is um i always forget them because i don't i don't work with them very often but um the information security professional or the info the the oh, I, I should have been prepared for that. But there's a lot of really smaller certifications that you can study for the weekend and, and get. Um, and there's one on information systems and there's one on on information security. Um, and you can start with those. Uh, those, if I see that on a resume um, or your ethical cert, your ethical hacker certification, which is one that a lot of people get, um, if I see those on the resume, like that's entry level. Like you are getting an entry level job, which, by the way, hey, is not a bad thing, right? But it is so important for people to know that you do not have to know computers. You don't know how. To, you don't need to know how to be a hacker to work in um, cybersecurity. My um, uh, my sister in law, uh, she is about my age, and she's a, a database engin- a database administrator a DBA. She works for a bank. Um, well, part of her job is is working as a database administrators, making databases, but also taking that data and making queries out of it and doing BI tools, so business business intelligence, so like dashboards and stuff like that for this data. And so she and I were talking last July 4th, so a, week, a year and a bit ago, uh, and she was like, man, I'm just really bored. She goes, you know, and I was like, well, get into cybersecurity. And she goes, I, I could never. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You're a database engineer, yeah? What do you, what do you do? Well, I just make really complex queries and I make dashboards. And I'm like, let me introduce you to the world of a SIM a system. Something it's this where you get all this all your logs and all your data, and then like for me, it's television. And it's like when that red light goes on, I have to like something bad is happening. Well, that's a dashboard, and there's all these logs are going into this SIM system. Uh, and then you have to, I can't make sense of that. That's just rows of stuff, but she can go in and she can make a really smart query that then every time that red light's going on, it's because she made the dashboard that dashboard, that light, you know, says that if someone opens a computer simultaneously in the United States and in China, well, that can't happen, right? So that means that that person probably just got hacked, right? That laptop, that employee. Um, and she made that dashboard and she walked in and there's literally a spreadsheet, the little PDF that says um, Splunk, which is the software Splunk, um, which is not great, but Splunk is what everybody uses. Um, Splunk for database and uh, database administrators. So it literally was Splunk was like, here's education material. If you're coming into a sem as a database administrator, there's literally a manual. She looked at it. She looked at it. She was like, oh, yeah, okay, I can do this. And boom, she's now working in cybersecurity.
1: Amazing. Amazing. And that's just like it's very similar or at least I I will make the connection, I suppose, to your story of going from like Oprah and being a Marine and having these three different um, skills that Miter needed mm-hmm. um, where you can make a connection and then go work on – Uh, you know, NLEs for a DARPA-funded project, right? So these intersection of skills, if you can hone in on that, if you can say like, okay, I'm not in cybersecurity, but what I can do is I can dress up this data and make it actionable for somebody that is a decision maker. And it's like, yeah, cybersecurity absolutely needs that. But uh, logistics, tech, operations, literally... Every industry needs that same thing. And if you can find those places where your skills intersect, you can make a career for yourself or at least a starting point in that career.
0: Yeah. And I think it's one of those things like you're not going to know what that intersection is until you get into it. Um, But what I can promise everybody is that soft skills, I will hire somebody for their soft skills way before I hire a really smart person in that very specific thing that I need. Because that means they're going to only do that very specific thing. I can teach that. Somebody can teach that. That can be learned. But what can't be learned is how to lead a team. Well, you can learn that. But you know what I mean? Um, How to go into a room and, and have conversations. And like there's soft skills around life right organization well i'm a stay-at-home mom well I, I i'm sure there's a thousand things that you're probably good at um because you're a stay-at-home mom and by the way stay-at-home moms can make a great living in tech for using and again i think the salesforce thing is such a a popular one because it's pretty easy to get like as far as like the barrier for entry but like you're you can walk into a 70 80 000 job i don't know i've never hired one but like you can make good money, right? And this is the thing. And I'll just tell you really on money. So first of all, I'm the director of information security. I make $175,000 a year. Uh, my total comp, which is very the thing that we say here in the Pacific Northwest, because it takes in like your shares for the company as in bonuses and all that. So by up 225000 but one hundred seventy-five is like the take home. Um, when I got into cybersecurity. I was working at that company where I just started. Then the next company where I have to get the certification, this other company called KeyW, they're not around anymore. It's a consultant firm. Um, I walked into that interview, got the job, kind of like right then and there, they hired me. And then they paid me like $115,000, right? I was, I was really happy with that. I didn't have a college degree. I'm pretty happy with $150,000. Cool. Uh, and um, I left that job and they took me aside, and I'll never forget this. He took me aside. And he goes, Hey, man, you know why we hired you so fast? And I was like, Cause I'm awesome. He's like, Well, other than that, <laughs> uh, so other than that, uh, it's because you underbid yourself. The, everybody else that was coming in this room was saying that their salary requirements were 135, 145, 150, and we would have paid it. But you walked in and said 110. you know whatever which is lower than I was making because I didn't have confidence I only had this one certification and I had a huge amount of imposter syndrome and so he goes we hired you because you're the cheapest and by the way yeah you're awesome so he goes I'm telling you this so that you can correct it and so from that job the way that you make more money is you don't stay at a job right you move jobs which is a known thing everybody accepts it it's totally fine do it And I went from making that 110 to making the most I ever made in life was $190,000 dollars jobs ago, Uh, but they they overpaid me, and I knew they were overpaying me. It's fine, but you go from one job, so I went from that to you know 130, 135, whatever. To the next job was 150, 155, whatever it was. Then I think there was another job that was 155, then 190. Then I went down to 155 again. working at my last job and this job is now 175. So also don't have the hubris of like, well, I was making $190,000. I went from making 190 to making 155 because that was actually fair market value for the role that I was in. I wasn't a director at that point, Uh, but the 190, I was a VP, um, which kind of makes sense. But then I went down to 155. So don't, don't have the hubris to be like, Oh, I'm making this. I'm going to make this for the rest of your life. No, man, you want a job? Is one hundred fifty-five thousand dollars a good life, living? Heck yeah! Take the job. Don't be like snobby about it. And then I left that job, got fired. Um, I got fired from a lot of <laughs> jobs, and I, it's fine. It's totally fine. Um, I, I'm 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 fine with it. And um, you know, part of part of having ADHD and being autistic is is sometimes you don't say the right things in the right rooms. You say the wrong things in the wrong rooms and people don't like it so
1: i think that's an important point as far as the don't be afraid to take make less money and that's one of the things that we see uh, a lot in people that are especially transitioning because they've worked their they've worked their way up in one industry and they're a middle manager in uh whatever you know let's just say they're a A store manager at a small retail company Mm -hmm. and they're making, you know, $110,000, but it's brutal, you know, uh, other than the owner, they don't have a boss. It's like 80 hours a week and they're like, well, I have to go do something else, but I don't want to take a pay cut. And it's like, it's give and take, man, you know, like, what about just taking a pay cut for just a little bit? while you get, you know, get your feet under you and then transition into a new field.
0: Yeah. So you bring up a good point, right? And it, it's, it's important that, you know, as we have conversations about, you know, maybe as, as I tell my story, right, um, it, you have to recognize that switching jobs when you have a family, when you have kids, you know, um, unlike me, you know, I don't have kids. Uh, and so you have to recognize the privilege that you have, um, that maybe a lot of people don't have. They don't have that privilege. And so when you're talking about taking a pay cut, yeah, look, you can take a ten or you know what I mean, a fifteen thousand dollar, maybe even a twenty thousand dollar pay cut if you're already making one ten, right? But you can't ask somebody making sixty five to then make you know forty five. Well, that's poverty level, you know, especially if you have children. And so there's privilege with being able to be flexible, but you can do both at the same time. Right? You can have the job that you, you know, never look for a job when you don't need a job or when you need a job, you know, always look for a job when you don't need a job. Um, and because you can be picky. So get your certification and then find out what the market's like, or find out what the market's like before you get the certification. Hit someone up on LinkedIn. The thing this the thing that people don't realize, you know, maybe they do, is that. Why am I on this podcast, right? Well, I'm on this podcast because, yeah, I think I've got a story to tell, but I also like to teach, you know, and everybody likes to tell their story. And even if that story is how they do their day-to-day life. And so you can make bosses into champions because people want to help smart and capable people. You don't already have to be awesome at the thing. You have to, though, Google the first line and say, oh, this is boss. This is what I've done to try to solve this problem. Is there, same thing with, you know, mentors. Hit someone up and ask intelligent questions. I, how do I get into tech? I don't know, dude, I can't help you. Hey, uh, I'm looking at getting into cybersecurity, but I've got an MBA uh, and I've, I've looked around and I think that maybe I can, I'm really good at risk and understanding risk. What, what do you think the good place to start is? I don't know, hired immediately, you know? So ask intelligent questions. Do a little bit of research so that never say, hey, can I take you out for coffee and pick your brain? Nobody likes that. Nobody likes that. So that's dead in the water. But if you say, hey, I saw your resume. You have X, Y, and Z. I'm trying to do one, two, and three. I think I could learn a lot from you. Can I have a 15-minute Zoom call with you? If I see that, I would probably say yes.
1: Awesome. Amazing. Jason, I don't want to take up uh, all of your day. Um, my last question is, if people want to learn more about you and say hi, where's the best place that I can send them?
0: Well, LinkedIn. So, you know, Jason Tugman, pretty easy. LinkedIn is always good. I have a website. If you want to read really dry articles on cyber risk, you can go to jasontugman.com. It's super fascinating. I promise you. Uh <laughs> Uh, or you can hit me up on on the old um, TikTok machine. Now, I think my name is Sonder LFE. I, I think maybe you might know better than I. Am. I yeah, um, I, I
1: will put links to everything yeah. in our show mo- show notes for everybody. Yeah. Uh, degreefree.co/podcast. But yeah, Jason, thank you so much. I you know I actually still have like. A whole page of notes uh of things that i wanted to ask you uh so maybe we could do a round two sometime um, hey look
0: if if you want to have me back you know me man i'll, I'll always talk about myself <laughs> 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 i'm sure well, i got more awesome. stories
1: to tell yeah uh thank you so much for the time jason absolutely right. thanks for having me i really appreciate it thank you so much for listening before you take off if you haven't already Please subscribe to our newsletter, degreefree.co slash newsletter. It has everything from degree-free jobs and how to get hired without a college degree. If you want the show notes to everything that we talked about, degreefree.co slash Jason Tugman is where you can go to get the links for everything that we talked about. Until next time, guys. Aloha.